This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Hello and welcome to Marketing Trends. This is associate producer David Freiberger. Today's episode features an interview with Mayor Gupta, CMO of Freshly. On this episode, Mayor talks about subscription marketing, building customer relationships, and much more. Enjoy. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Here is your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org, and we have on the other line, Mayor, how's it going? It's going well, Ian. Uh, thanks for having me over. Yeah, it's great to great to be talking to you. You know, we actually just released the episode with uh, Seth Farbman, your uh, your former colleague at Spotify. Maybe you can share some of the stories that uh, that Seth was reluctant to share. He shared a lot. It was a two part episode. We went for about two hours, so I feel like we probably hit it all. Yes. Well, actually, I was reporting into Seth, so he's been a he's been a mentor um, and a fabulous guide for me uh, over the last many years, and um, I can't wait to can't wait to hear his podcast. I'm sure it was fantastic. He's a he's a legend. He really is, um, and and we're definitely going to talk some of the the cool growth and marketing tactics that that you employed at at Spotify as as VP of Growth and Marketing. We're also going to talk about what you're currently doing at Freshly and all about that, which is really exciting. But first, how did you get into marketing in the first place? Yes. So it was rather unintentional or accidental considering the fact that I, I grew up as an engineer. So I did my master's in computer science back in India. And my first job was as a pure engineer, as a technologist, working on Java J2E and played a role as a Unix administrator, became a Java architect things that you typically do, you know, when you enter your professional career as a technologist. Um, reason why I said it's accidental is in the mid-2000s, Sapien Nitro, which is where I was, we decided to acquire a company, a product company in, in the ad tech space in Miami. And I was asked to be the product lead. And that was my evolution from pure technologist and building technology solutions to now building products for the world of marketing and advertising. And since then, it's been um, incremental baby steps towards the center of marketing. And coincidentally, marketing itself in the last 10 to 12 years has been evolving from pure madman marketing and all about advertising. It's become more and more and more intertwined with data and technology, and it has become more about the outcomes than the outputs. So someone like me can actually find a job and make a living out of it. So flash forward to today, tell me a little bit about your role as CMO of Freshly. I'm trying to figure it out as well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, maybe it'll help if I share a little bit about Freshly and that'll perhaps give better context on the role. But Freshly is the largest direct-to-consumer weekly subscription business. And uh, we offer fully prepared meals that are ready to eat in, uh, in three minutes. Our meals and our core value proposition sits at the intersection of health, taste, and convenience, which for me is a 
you know, the age-old trilogy of good, fast, and cheap that has never come together. So if you compare us to the meal kits or meal delivery services, they either, you know, they either serve and fulfill on health and taste, but not on convenience, or they serve on, they serve on convenience and taste, but not on health. Our whole value proposition in the first five years of our journey has been, how do we bring the three together? So that's freshly. And, um, you know, we are now, as of January this year, we are delivering nationwide, almost in 48 states, except for Alaska and Hawaii. And uh, by the end of this year, we would have shipped uh, close to 35 million meals in this year alone. So it's a pretty, pretty exciting scale for the category. And my role at one level, like any CM or the way I think about it is, you know, being the orchestrator for the company's mission and purpose and uh, being the strongest advocate for the customer, uh, no doubt about that. And, uh, but more in terms of accountability, the way I summarize it is very simple. It is the intersection of three core things, um, growth of the brand, growth of your user base and growth of user value, which in other words is driving awareness and education, you know, applying the science and technology to bring those users through, which is your acquisition, and then doing everything possible to add incremental value every single time, which gives you the potential right to bring the user back, which means retention. So the scope is is the convergence of all those three three core bubbles. And I should say that you were recently recognized as hashtag CMO next list from Forbes. Uh, so congratulations on that. And you talked about purpose and mission at Freshly. And I, and I wanted to talk about that a little bit because better, faster, cheaper, the idea of, you know, this logical extension of meals being prepared fast is something that tough to deliver on, but it seems like you all are, are narrowing down how to do this. I love the tweets that people share about Freshly. They're like, you know, made my life way easier for uh, me having a newborn, like thanks to Freshly, stuff like that. How does kind of like marketing the mission and the purpose of the company kind of like fire you up to to do your work every day? I think that's that's the core. And especially for someone like me who did not grow up as a marketeer, which means marketing is still not a natural DNA for me. When you're marketing a product that is so core to the human life, it just makes it a lot easier because you are literally, you can see that in your personal life every single day. I have two kids, I have two daughters. And I know what nutrition and food means for them. And I know when I'm, when me and my wife together are not able to fulfill that, what it means to us as parents. So from that standpoint, I find it a lot easier, a lot more natural, a lot more exciting and challenging uh, as a professional. So our mission is very simple. It is about breaking down the barriers to healthy eating. You know, we, we strongly believe in that with the purpose to inspire every individual to unlock their poten- full potential to thrive. And we strongly believe today in this wave of wellness, because everybody is kind of throwing their hat into that ecosystem, nutrition is the single largest influence to your well-being. The reason why we believe we have the right to play here, because we are not just guiding you into what is the right nutrition based on who you are, but we are actually manufacturing it and getting to you at the highest quality, at the best possible price in the most convenient way. You spent some formative years at Kimberly Clark with working with, you know, some iconic brands. 
and now you're trying to build an iconic brand. Like, what were some of those experiences that you had there, you know, working on marketing technology, um, you know, platforms, experiences, things like that, uh, that kind of like guided some of your ideas for today? Personally, for my for my career, that was a breakthrough experience going through Kimberly Clark, um, especially after having spent around 12 years at Sapien Nitrazin, you know, and uh, building products and technology. But the biggest things, I guess, that I've taken away when I when I had this role of kind of a chief marketing technologist reporting into the CMO world was um, a few things. One is back then I realized that you don't do digital marketing. You market in a digital world, which means digital for companies like Kimberly Clark could not be a bolt-on anymore. You had to become, the evolution and the transformation was not to become, not to apply and run a business through digital channels, but it was the transformation was more evolving the culture and the mindset to become a digitally native organization that was acquiring and engaging and trying to retain a digitally native consumer. So that was a big mindset shift and evolution that I went through. And the lessons learned for me were primarily around technology and data, that it was more than the implementation and the access to technology and data, it was more the application of it to change the human behavior, to drive a better experience that will move the business forward. So it was it was a mindset shift from producing outputs to actually holding yourself accountable for outcomes. And I think uh, that is one way of for me to summarize. And needless to say that you learn a lot when you work on brands, iconic brands, like you said, like Huggies and Kleenex and Kotex. You learn that just having data is not enough. You learn that we all believe we understand our consumers, but really very few do um, because mostly you don't because of fragmentation and, and everyone's operating on an extremely fragmented ecosystem where your understanding of that audience is, you know, is fragmented by channel, fragmented by the pieces of technology that lie in your backyard. So the biggest takeaway was it's most important for every marketer to not only understand the what and the who, but the why behind that what, you know, not just what the users are doing on your platform, off your platform, but understanding why are they doing that, you know, both emotionally and functionally. Well, and what was the technology stack that you were, you were working off? Like I'd imagine that because of working with so many different retailers and so many different people that sell your products, like you wouldn't necessarily have the one-to-one relationship with the customer, you know, say that you would have had with Spotify or, or now with Freshly. But I'm curious, like what would, what were the types of technologies? And it doesn't have to be, you know, the, the actual vendor names, but what were you working on that kind of build that, that technology understanding of the ecosystem? Because it does seem extremely complex with resellers and all of that. Yes, um, it is complex. You are far away from the consumer, but there were two things that were happening within the industry at large and, of course, at Kimberly Clark as well, which, to be quite honest, was quite quite advanced within the category of Fortune 100 CPG players back then. This is 2012. They were testing direct-to-consumer e-commerce. Obviously, none of this is confidential because all this was live, but they tested um, the Depend online store selling directly to consumer in a subscription model, which I thought back then was breakthrough. Uh, same thing was for Poise, which are two incontinence products for male and females. We had a pretty exciting 
rewards program for Huggies that underneath had a bunch of different things. But to answer your question specifically on the marketing technology world, I had a framework where I would kind of think about the technologies in, in three C's, context, content, and commerce. And underneath that, of course, context included a lot of the data platforms from the DMPs to the CDPs. We came up with a, you know, a new ability to connect your first party data to second party and third party uh, data with, with anonymous structures and known data within your, within your CDP. So a lot of different things there that we were doing with partnership, you know, with the third party data platforms, with some of the partners we're starting to share. We, we're running a lot of innovation to understand how the product usage was happening, you know, back at home, off platform. So that was one path on content was a big play, not just in terms of content production, but distribution, you know, social, how are you measuring that? How are you doing some kind of sentiment analysis? Again, because for the most part, most brands were still selling through the e-tailers and the retailers. So getting any kind of inkling of data and understanding on the, on the why was pretty amazing. So one of the most exciting things that I remember we did back then was investment that the leadership made, you know, the CMO and the leadership team made was on behavioral science, which was how do we understand the user behavior? And I still, still remember one of my biggest lessons learned for one of the categories, well, like depend was the associated stigma associated with that category because of which users did not want to be seen buying that product in an aisle. And that led to the idea of one on a subscription model. And that I still, till date, use that example as a case study to think about why getting 10 clicks down the data is so important to create that insight, to create that one nugget that will tell you exactly why a user is behaving in a certain way. Yeah, it's you. First of all, you stole my next question because I was going to ask you about the three C's and uh, the, the additional two C's of consumer and convergence that you wrote about in the past. But um, yeah, I, I was going to ask about that. We recently had a great guest on who was talking about, you know, like discrete packaging and things like that. Like those things really matter. They've always mattered to consumers. We just didn't really have data to support that. We just had anecdotal stuff, but there was kind of no other, no other options. If you're going to buy whatever it is at the store that you feel self-conscious of, whether that's, you know, potato chips or Kleenex or whatever, there are those sort of things, but we just didn't necessarily know. So what was the, what was the results of those uh, subscription products? Well, obviously, I can't. I don't have the the numbers or can share. But what I would say at the top down, it was a fantastic journey. It was a breakthrough initiative. E-commerce was a breakthrough initiative for the company with with very concrete goals in terms of the revenue uh, attributed back to e-commerce. Within e-commerce, of course, like any organization, it was how much you were selling to the e-tailers, the Amazons, the WalMarts, the Targets, plus how much are you able to sell direct. So the direct to consumer channel for traditional CPG players is still a big challenge. You know, it is still quite a bit of a mountain to climb, not because they don't have the ability, they don't have the right kind of people. Of course, they have access to everything. I'm talking everybody from General Mills to Unilever to PNGs. I just feel running a D2C is like running a digitally native product company. It's like you are thinking and operating like a Spotify, like, you know, like a Facebook, like an Amazon. The mindset, the culture has to be has to be so different. Data has to be in your DNA. Experimentation, speed, and agility has to be who you are. And uh, for example, you know, at Freshly, 
we launch one to four products every week. Uh, on our menu, we launch one to four new meals every week. They're, the innovation cycle is so rapid. That doesn't mean that a lot of these products are being being launched with any less amount of iterations and, and quality testing because you know this is a this is a fully prepared meal, so we cannot take chances here. We follow the best in class innovation and product development process, but that's just the mindset that you used to operate, and which is very different from you know when you are a, a hundred plus year old Fortune one hundred, which has spent ninety seven of those years selling to an e-tailer or a retailer. I'm glad you mentioned the the Spotify piece because I want to get to this. So how did your thinking change as soon as you got to Spotify as looking at your customers as subscribers, at building subscriptions, as building, you know, long-term compounding growth about experimentation and all of that? The good thing was uh, while I was working at Kimberly Clark, the marketing organization, and I was fortunate enough to work with some incredible leaders at Kimberly Clark, we were almost operating like a change agent in a, in a big machinery. We were like a startup within that macro ecosystem. And, and so it wasn't as much of a knee-jerk change for me going from Kimberly Clark working in a one in a center of excellence, launching some D2C platform. So it was very disruptive. So my biggest takeaway from working at Spotify was, one, the only moat organizations have in today's world is, is their ability to move faster than the competition. Everything else is commodity, which also meant that as an organization and as someone who's working within an organization, you actually want people who enjoy and have the ability, ability to run at 100 miles an hour, even though they can only see 10 yards ahead. And that's a big difference, which means when you have the DNA, when you have that culture, now you are not afraid to fall. You build the mindset of experimentation, test and learn, where you start to measure success by the rate of iteration. And those are the things that I learned at Spotify, how, how to not worry about day two problem, but just worry about a day one problem. You absolutely need to have a North Star vision, but the key is what are you going to solve right now and not just always worrying about scale. What I've seen in Fortune 100 is what often happens, we are first carving out the five-year roadmap, the five-year journey. By the time you get there, the world's moving so fast. The consumer habits are changing so fast. Technology is proliferating so fast. Innovations happening left, right, and center. You just got to you just got to keep moving. The only flip side of that is you have to be careful that you don't end up creating an environment of anxiety. That you are creating an environment and culture of trust and transparency. That's just a byproduct of that speed and what I call healthy chaos, where organizations like Freshly and Spotify learn how to harness chaos and the intent is not to shut down chaos. Well, you you know, you mentioned speed and and I'm curious because you said speed is a way that you can build a build a mode and, and, and differentiate. But at the same time, like taking Freshly, for example, if a meal showed up, it was on time, it looked great, it got there, everything in time, ready to serve, heats up in three minutes and it tastes terrible then all the speed in the world doesn't matter. So there's some amount of quality of product, obviously, that you need to have in addition to speed. How do you kind of like mirror those two things up? No question about that. I think in, in the world, look, we are all in this journey to get to an incredible state of product market fit. And 
what the disruption in today's era has given us is once you reach product market fit, you cannot assume that you're going to stay there forever, which means that for any organization, and it doesn't matter who you are, and there are some incredible examples out there for companies very recently were enjoying tremendous top-line growth and felt we have a tremendous product market fit, and suddenly, you know, the rocks pulled out of their, under their feet. So to answer your question, of course, you're focusing on feed, but not, you know, not at the cost of the core product, the core experience. A big difference in organizations that are more direct-to-consumer selling an offline product is the challenge for the definition and the scope of that overarching experience is much broader. Whereas compared to a fully digitally native experience where the product and online is all intertwined, which is the Spotify's and Netflix's of the world, is your product experience is confined to the online world, whereas we are operating in an omni-channel world where yeah. um, it's not only what you eat, the five senses, your online experience, your shipment experience, your delivery, the packaging, every single aspect of the touch point of your, within your journey is relevant and it adds to that product market fit. It adds to that experience and the question of whether you're going to come back or not. Well, and I think with Freshly specifically, you have this picking what you want, but also the constant innovation around changing meals and changing re- you know, recipes and things like that, that keeps it you know, pardon the pun here, fresh for the, um, for the customer so that they do have something new because nobody wants to eat the same three meals over and over again, you know, ad nauseum. But you're right that you have this very visceral, physical customer experience that is the kind of culmination of this extremely easy, transparent, quick digital experience. How do you think about, you know, like customer relationship? I, I know you've uh, written posts on this in the past and uh, and talked about customer relationship management. Is this more than just kind of a technology? Is this, uh, you know, you've said that this is, this is an entire way of kind of way of living there. Um, how do you build those customer relationships and think about it? Um, oh, yes. It's, it's one, it's definitely more than technology. It is definitely more than data. It is definitely more than any single thing in isolation. It's hard. Customer relationship and loyalty is very hard. And it's very simple. It's hard because consumers today have tremendous choice. They have tremendous access, tremendous control, and, uh, and it's instant, which means there are very few brands that can afford to keep you hostage. Uh, airlines being a category and <laughs> sometimes uh, cable television being a category. Other than that, pretty much everything else is a lot of fluidity from one product to the other which means that for brands and for marketers, the bar is even higher, where you have to work every single day. It's the, the analogy that I put in my head is every single day you're kind of putting another brick on the wall, making it higher and higher, making it more difficult for the user to leave. And the brick equates to value. So how each day you are going to add incremental value to that same consumer for the same price to make it harder for them to leave. And sometimes the value can be in the form of data and personalization, aka Netflix. Sometimes the value can be giving you more for the same price, aka Amazon Prime or X, Y, and Z. And that's the journey that we are on, we are all on. That's the journey that I'm on at Freshly. And that's where I feel understanding the why behind the what, understanding 
what emotional and functional problems and needs are we solving for customer A versus customer B? All those are extremely relevant. And that's where I say what's more important is the application of data, the transformation of data into insight, and then the application of that to give you back a better experience. And that to me is customer relationship, which is never ending. It's like customer today is always under warranty. Yeah, it's a brilliant way of putting it because I think a lot of times you have the product is first kind of launched. You know, instead of going to the store, the person has freshly delivered right there, three minutes, they can heat it up. This is amazing, right? But that shine kind of wears off after, you know, a while where it's like, well, now the expectation is just that it shows up and that the meals are different. And then they're kind of like, well, now what? And that's obviously where, you know, innovation happens and, and ultimately disruption and things like that. But it's a great way of thinking about it. And I think a lot of times people think in terms of feature creep that is always upsells. That's always, you know, trying to figure out how to get more and more money from the customer. But there's in a world where you build subscribers and growth compounds and revenue compounds, keeping them is extremely important. And keeping them at that price point is not a bad thing. Uh, it's something that, you know, like look at what Netflix did. I think they they raised that price a pretty significant, I think it was like $4 or something like that after not changing price for so long uh, with all of the value that they added. Yes. And, and look, I would also say at the same time, price is a function of value. As consumers, you are open to paying more if you see tremendously incremental value for it. So I always say you don't start with price, but price is a function of what value you're adding to the consumer. But I do feel that the way you own their trust and the way you own their loyalty is when they believe that your journey is about adding more value for them and their experience and not adding just more value for yourself. And that's an, that's an infinite path. And also to your point on specifically in our, in our journey right now, where, of course, you're eating, uh, even though our, our current menu includes 30 different meals, so there's a lot of option, but based on your preferences, you know, you may only be having 18 meals that you can choose from. We hold ourselves accountable to make sure there's an overarching experience around it. So that, that's where think about an overarching experience that includes not just that core meal that you're eating, which absolutely has to you know, knock the ceilings off, but how can we leverage data to tell you your journey towards your goals? You know, how many calories are you saving? How are you doing on your carb goals? And then two, how great is your experience with the overall online platform? What kind of content are we creating? Are you just eating the meals or are we telling you what is special about this meal that is relevant to you? And this is where some of the things that I got really excited at Spotify, where I now think that every meal that our chefs are producing is like an album, you know, where there's, it's not just science, it's not just the recipe, but there is so much art behind it. There is so much passion behind it, which is what we are now trying to take to our consumers because Today's consumer is so smart and so aware that all that matters to them, right? The mission and the purpose and the art behind every single meal and understanding the chef and their philosophy, all that is very relevant to most consumers today. So then when do you quit on a customer? When is it too much work? Uh, or maybe <laughs> maybe it never is. And and how do you measure the that relationship? <laughs> well... One, you never give up on uh, on a customer. You just change a relationship or you evolve that relationship. And the way you engage with them evolves uh, over time, but you never give up. 
how we measure for a data company, that definitely is something that we spend a lot of time thinking about. There are many different ways of measuring it in terms of lifetime revenue, in terms of lifetime value, in terms of obviously giving you different kinds of scores. So as an insanely fast-paced growth company, you know we've grown on the backing of a lot of science and data and performance marketing and the inertia of the product itself. It's some organic loops and, and so on. I often say we've used the first four and a half years to build a great business with very strong unit economics, uh, which is very relevant, especially in, in this phase of the business world. What the next four and a half years, we are going to be focusing on building an iconic brand alongside on top of the strong business. What that means is we are now focusing a lot more on educating our users on that mission and the purpose via content, educating what's going behind behind every single meal, behind all the innovation that we are putting behind uh, our portfolio. So I was mentioning that because we are now measuring the awareness for our user, not through the traditional way, but through some proxy behaviors to understand how does a Freshly user who understands a core value proposition of Freshly behave and buy and engages differently from a user who quite doesn't understand, but is still here. So what do we see different in their behavior, different in their ordering patterns, different in their retention curves, in their churn patterns? So some very exciting stuff that we're doing, which again, the fact that you are direct to consumer provides you a lot of that ability as long as you're able to apply it. Let's get into our lightning round. These questions are fast and easy. Just like B2B marketing automation with Pardot, you can go to pardot.com slash podcast to learn more about B2B marketing on the world's number one CRM, that is Salesforce. Fast and easy questions, lightning round style. Mayor, are you ready? <laughs> I'm nervous now. <laughs> number one, what app are you using on your phone that's the most fun? Um, freshly one and Spotify too. <laughs> what is your favorite song or album? Oh boy. Um, Sam Smith would be the favorite uh, artist. Uh, the latest favorite album would be the Bollywood movie Kabir Singh. Do you have a hidden talent or passion? I used to sketch. I'm an artist. Um, I used to sketch portraits. An artist and a developer, man, and a marketer, you got it all. I don't know if I'll qualify to be a marketer yet. A developer, yes, um, maybe. Uh, I think I'm trying to be all. What is your favorite thing to cook or eat? Butter chicken. Butter chicken, so good. What are you most excited about for the future of marketing? Showing how a purpose-driven brand amplifies uh, the tangible and measurable growth of the business, that they're, that it's not isolated anymore. What is your best piece of advice for a first-time CMO? Operate like a doctor who is always working on expanding and reading and expanding their skill set because there's no doubt of viruses out there and you have to continuously work on vaccines. I think marketing is the same way. The consumer expectations will keep roaring higher and higher. And you have to be on your toes to understand more data, more technology, more finance, and uh, you know more verticals. And marketing marketing today is no longer limited to just uh, the best creative ad. Uh, it is about running the business. What question do you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often? What did I love about uh, being an engineer? 
What did you love about being an engineer? What do, what do you love about being an engineer? The one thing that I'm, um, I feel very fortunate about being an engineer, which I didn't realize when I, when I, that, when that was my job is, uh, it just teaches you to break big pieces of puzzle and problems into smaller pieces and put them back, which I call system thinking. So top down and bottom up. And, um, I think that's just what engineering teaches you. And I just enjoy now applying that basic principle into everything I do and including marketing, which I think now is quite complex and sometimes becomes complicated, but I enjoy piecing it all together into smaller chunks and putting it all back. And uh, that's how I can, I think I'm now able to think more in terms of outcomes and not just outputs. Mayor, this has been absolutely awesome having you on. We got to have you back. We, we barely even scratched the surface on Spotify stories. But uh, for, for those of our listeners who haven't checked it out, check out Freshly. Uh, it's really cool and, uh, and delicious. You should definitely check it out. Any final stuff to plug? Anything we should uh, be paying attention to coming out of Freshly coming forward? Um, no, just keep an eye out for Freshly. We're going to do some incredible stuff in 2020. And uh, I would love everybody to give it a shot. I promise you will not regret the food or the service. Awesome. Take care. Thank you. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.